We have been living in the last days, in the end times, since Jesus came to this earth. When Jesus came to this earth, he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he brought that kingdom of heaven when he was crucified, when he was resurrected, and when he ascended into heaven to reign as our king in this kingdom, God's kingdom, now inaugurated here with Christ as our king, even now on this earth, and we wait for him to come again in glory. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is going forth through the mission of the church, and the kingdom will be brought to its full fruition whenever Jesus comes again and establishes the new heavens and the new earth, the perfect fruition, the perfect completion, the perfection itself of his kingdom. And the book of Revelation, which we read from already, is a book all about those times, the times that we are living in now, the end times, the times that we wait for Jesus to come again. Revelation gives us pictures in kind of a cyclical way of the types of things that are going to happen throughout history as we wait for Jesus to come again. You can see some of the things happening in Revelation, happening at the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and you can see the same kinds of things happening again and again throughout history. If you want to talk about Luther today, one of the things Luther thought about Revelation was that a lot of the things in Revelation were talking about what was going on with the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, and what was going on with the Muslims that were invading the Holy Roman Empire, the Turk. He thought a lot of Revelation was about those things, and in a way he was right, because the things in Revelation happen over and over again throughout these end times as we wait for Jesus to come back. In chapter 14, we get this image of three angels. We only read about the first one today. But the first angel comes, and he's flying overhead, and he has an eternal gospel to proclaim. An eternal gospel. And what is his eternal gospel that he proclaims? His eternal gospel is that the hour of judgment has come. Again, the end times are here. We are living in them now. The hour of judgment has come. We should be prepared like the ten virgins, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, are prepared or should be prepared at any moment, should have oil in their lamps at any moment for our king to come back again. The hour of judgment has come. We should always be prepared for that moment. And so what does the eternal gospel, what does this truth of the gospel for all times, in all places, what does it have to say? Fear God and give him glory. Fear God and give him glory, the eternal gospel to proclaim. That is the way that we are ready for the hour of judgment is that we are always fearing God, giving him glory, always in every place ready to fear God and give him glory so that we would be ready for that fruition of the kingdom. It is eternal 
Because even in these last days, but even since the beginning of creation, the work of God's people, the work of the church, the work of you is to proclaim and to live this message, to fear God and to give him glory. And what does that mean? To fear God and give him glory means to believe what he says. It means to fear, love, and trust in the true God above all other gods, above all false gods. And that means to conform ourselves, to conform our lives, to conform our church to him in every way, at every place, and every time. What better way can we give him glory than to see what he says in his word and to conform our lives and our church to it, to fear him, to love him, to trust in what he says for our lives, for our good, above all things. But even since creation, or very early on in creation with Adam and Eve, there is a problem. Adam and Eve fell in sin, and since Adam, God's people, the church, you, we have struggled with this task to fear God and give him glory. We have fallen over and over again into temptation. We have sought other gods. We have struggled because of our sin. This is part of the nature of sin. Not only that in your own life you struggle with temptation, but that the church, God's people, fall into certain temptations and fail to conform themselves to God's word, to fear him, to give him the glory. And yet the gospel, remember, that the angel proclaims, the messenger proclaims flying overhead, is supposed to be eternal. We struggle with it over and over again, but this message is supposed to be always. And so how do we deal with this in the church whenever we fall into a certain air or fall into a certain temptation? Or start to lose sight of what it means to conform ourselves to a certain part of God's word in the church. How do we deal with this? Well, at the time of the Reformation, there was a phrase that appeared by many of the reformers. Ecclesia Reformanda, Semper Reformanda. The church reformed, the church always reforming. The church reformed, the church always reforming. The truth of the matter is that on this side of heaven, as we still struggle with the sins of Adam, inherited in the church by God's people, while we are trying to conform ourselves to God's word, while we are trying to fear God and give him glory, while we are trying to proclaim the eternal gospel, the perfect gospel, we must always be reforming back to that gospel. We must always be seeking to find where we have fallen into temptation, where we have fallen into sin, where the leaven of sin has leavened the lump, as Paul says, and get back to that eternal, pure gospel, where above all else, we fear God, we trust his word, we conform ourselves to him, giving him 
all the glory. This was true all throughout history. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament. Think about when Judah, the southern kingdom, had fallen away from the faith that they had inherited from David, from the faith that they had inherited from Moses and Joshua, from the faith that they had inherited from Abraham. When they fell away and were taken captive into Babylon, they had one of the very last kings that they had, King Josiah, one of the only good kings that they had. And one of King Josiah's priests was in the temple one day cleaning things out, and he found something that had been completely lost to the people of that generation. He found the books of Moses. He found the Old Testament. He found the word of God and he dusted it off and he brought it to the king and said, look what I found. This seems maybe important. And King Josiah realized what they had lost And he commanded the books of Moses to be read in the assembly of all the people. And they started again, at least for a moment, to celebrate the feast, to celebrate the sacrifices of Moses' law, the law that God gave to them. The church in Judah needed a reformation. It needed to be brought back to the word of God. They needed to fear God again and give him glory. It was a reformation. It's true in the New Testament, you can think about Pentecost at the moment whenever the church is given the task to go to Judea, to Samaria, to Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth with this eternal gospel. Whenever Peter preaches at Pentecost and thousands and thousands are baptized and everything seems like it's going good for just a moment, but then fast forward only 15 chapters in the book of Acts and you get to a moment of reformation. When all of a sudden the church got confused again. The church was confused about what it was supposed to be doing with these Gentiles. Should we circumcise them or should we not? What is the nature of the Gentile mission? What is the nature of God's grace? They were confused again. They had fallen into temptation, some of them, and they needed a reformation. And so Paul and James, who we talked about last week, preached to them and they gave them a reformation. The church reformed, the church always reforming. We must always be on this task. It was true again 300 years later at the Council of Nicaea when some people in the church got confused and thought that Jesus was created, not eternal. And so the church had to get together and return to the scriptures to show and to confess and to witness that Christ is the eternal Son of God, begotten, not made, As we confess, it was a reformation. Fast forward another 1,200 years after that, and we get to the reformation that we celebrate today. It was true again for Luther. It was true again for the Protestant Reformation. The church reformed. The church needed reforming again. The late medieval Roman Catholic Church had gotten very far away from the eternal gospel. They did not fear God but instead made an idol for themselves with the Pope and with Mammon. 
They taught that good works were needed to earn your way out of purgatory, and those good works, of course, included giving some money to the church. And they taught that the Pope had infallible authority and that the church was not based on God's word, scripture alone, but on the Pope's word alone. And so Luther saw the need for reform because the church always needs reform. Always important to note, not the need for destruction. By the way, he didn't even want to be called Lutheran. He still wanted to be part of the Catholic or universal church because he saw when he looked at the people in the Roman Catholic Church, he saw Christians, he saw God's people, he saw his people who needed reform, who needed to be brought back to the eternal life-giving gospel. He wanted reform because that's what the church always needs for the eternal gospel. And so reform it, he did. Unfortunately, the Roman Catholic Church kicked him out. But he had to, by his conscience, no matter what, proclaim that eternal gospel. He had to, no matter what, by his conscience, fear God and give him the glory according to Scripture alone. And that's, by the way, why we're talking about the Revelation reading today. That's why the Revelation reading is for Reformation Sunday, because later reformers, after Luther, they read this passage and they said, that messenger flying overhead, proclaiming the eternal gospel, that's like Luther. And that sounds kind of weird to identify an angel as Luther, and you might think it's a little odd to say that this biblical character is this man in history. But in some ways, I think they were right, because, first of all, angel, the word angel just means messenger, and because the things in Revelation happen over and over again throughout history, we could say that a lot of those people are that angel proclaiming that eternal gospel, and that that is good because Reformation always needs to happen. We always must go back to the eternal gospel. That's why it's eternal. And 500 years later, that eternal gospel and that angel still needs to be here. The church reformed. We are a reformed church in this way. We follow in the path that Luther and others have made for us, not because they are men, but because they confessed the scriptures This church today, this Reformed church, this Lutheran church, still needs reformation. We call ourselves Lutheran because we are a church of the Reformation. Historically, yes, but more importantly, because we are constantly willing to always go back to the scriptures, to always go back to the word of God, to always fear God and give him glory. The Reformation passed down many blessings to us, great theology books. You can read some of them on my shelf in my office, or I even have some stacked up on the floor. You can read lots of books that came from that time, and they're great. But the most important blessing we have from the Reformation, I think, is this, is the church always reforming. 
always going back to the scriptures, the spirit, if you will, of the eternal gospel. And so today, let us be a church of reformation. Let us return in places where we have erred. I'm sure there are many. We have to think about them. We have to study them. We have to look at ourselves honestly and look at the scriptures honestly and see where we can improve. If I could pick one place, I would say that in some ways our church today has opposite problems of the church in Luther's time. In Luther's time, everyone was a Christian, at least a Roman Catholic Christian. And they had a hard time understanding the gospel of grace alone. They didn't have a hard time understanding living by God's law and living according to God's creation. Today, we have kind of the opposite problem where people think they are Christian because they have an understanding of grace alone, but have a hard time understanding living by God's law and according to God's creation. Our Pharisaism, if you will, is not a Pharisaism of earning our way into heaven by religious rituals, but our Pharisaism is thinking that we already have heaven by a way of licentiousness that we think we can live apart from God's law and apart from his creation without punishment or without error. That we can kind of choose whatever path we want, and there's really no punishment for that. That would be one thing that we could work on. Not just as this church, but as the church at large, and also as the culture of the church at large. And I'm sure there are other problems too. It is in the nature of our collective sin, inherited from Adam, that we will have collective problems. But that is why the gospel must be eternal in these last days. And so on this Reformation Celebration Day, let us follow in the footsteps of Josiah and Hilkiah. Let us follow in the footsteps of James and Paul. Let us follow in the footsteps of Athanasius and Augustine. Let us follow in the footsteps of Luther and Melanchthon. Let us follow in the footsteps of the Reformation. Because the church is reformed, but the church always must be reforming. We must continually conform our lives, our church, to the eternal gospel. And so today, let us proclaim with boldness to the very ends of the earth, to Judea, to Samaria, to Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth, That eternal gospel, which is able to save, which is able to keep us faithful until that final day comes when Jesus comes back to be our king forever and ever. Amen.